Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I'm so glad to have you here. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about something that I'm doing later this month, you know, in January. So I'm hosting a meetup for the podcast, the Forward Thinking Founders Meetup. I'm inviting every guest I've ever had on. I'm inviting any angel investor who's an angel investor in the podcast and it's gonna be a lot of fun. We're having it at a great location in San Francisco in late January, and I would love for you to come. Right now, there's two ways for you to come, really. Um, You can buy a ticket on Eventbrite for 50 bucks, um, or you can do what I want you to do in the first place and become an angel investor in the podcast. If you become an angel investor in the podcast, you get to come to this meetup uh, you know, complimentary to what you pay, which is $10 a month or $100 a year, on top of all the other benefits you get for being a, uh, an angel investor. Um, if you go on my Twitter, which is Matt underscore Sherman, you'll see that I am playing some like interesting games. If you want to come for free, you have to find someone with a promo code. So if you're interested in doing something like that, head over to Twitter at Matt with one T underscore Sherman. But if you just want to go, you don't want to play games, you just want to meet amazing guests that I've had on the podcast, just become an angel investor. You can do this at glow.fm slash F20R. What you get is obviously access into the meetup, you get premium content, you get an online community, and you get my highest graces and my thank yous because I really appreciate the supporters. So, you know, that's all I have right now. We're going to get into the podcast, but if you want to come to the meetup, then become an angel investor or pay 50 bucks. Up to you. With that, let's get into today's episode. Run it. All right. How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very, very excited to be talking to Mehek Bora, who is the creator, the founder of On Delta. Welcome to the show. How is it going? Hello, hello. It's going great. It's Friday. I'm getting for, looking forward to the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have any fun plans for the weekend coming up? Yeah, honestly, she's just working because I feel like I took like the last like two weeks off-ish working today and I worked yesterday a little bit. Um, so yeah, probably just working and getting prepared for next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I feel like I told myself I would work, uh, you know, I would work through the, the, the break or through the holidays and whatnot. And I definitely did, but on like a level of three out of 10 instead of, you know, oh, yeah. out of 10. But yeah, I feel like that if there's any time during the year where you do that, it's during the holidays, right? You know, so it's okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or like, I found myself working on things that like, I've been wanting to work on, but like, we're a little bit more fun, but needed to be done, but like, weren't as pressing. So that was kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you know, now it, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to be spending time working on 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 delta so uh and a lot of people listening probably don't know what that is so what are you working on what's your company yeah so on delta is a three-month gross marketing boot camp and we help people um learn about user acquisition user retention um basically everything they need to get, know to integrate themselves into a startup and work on their growth team so um, yeah, we're using the income share agreement model. So we take 15% of their income for two years, as long as our students are making over 40 K a year. So 
I'd love to hear a little bit about how you came up with the idea and also what was the moment when you decided that you wanted to pursue this? Because um, obviously you're very, uh, you know, with the times on trend with starting this new type of school. That's a very, in my opinion, smart thing to do. So like, when did you decide to take the plunge? Yeah, so I ran a growth marketing agency for about four or five years. We started it in 2015. And um, for me, I learned a lot through that process. Um, I dropped out of school to run that company full time. And taking up a bunch of consulting gigs and actually just putting myself on the field and learning was one of the best things I could have done for myself. So um, around March of this year, actually it's 2020 now, March of 2019, um, my contacts with a large majority of our clients were ending. So I had the opportunity to either renew with them and keep it going for another year or um, to try something new. And for me, I just wasn't really enjoying the consulting life anymore. So I wanted to try something that was a little bit more scalable, um, something bigger that I could build. And yeah, it's how On Delta was born. It was coming from that background of not studying marketing, but doing it on the job. And if we could help other people do that as well and help them get a job a lot more quickly without putting them in debt, that's like the most exciting thing. So when you decided to start On Delta, uh, you know, it's pretty much starting uh, in some ways a school, you know, a boot camp, an educational institution. What did you, what did you do first? What was your first uh, activity that you did to start this school? And how do you think about creating it um, and putting together all the pieces? Yeah, so the first thing that I did was I started talking to hiring partners um, and companies that would be interested in hiring our students. Um, it's hard to, I figured that it would be like, if we could figure out a good plan that worked where uh, hiring partners were willing to hire our students, then like, that's awesome. We'll probably be able to get in a lot of that um, supply. So I went to the demand side first and sort of talking to hiring partners and saying like, what types of um, entry level growth marketers are you looking for? What are you looking for them to know? Um, what do you wish more new um, things like things that uh, some questions that I just wanted to get answered to make sure that there was actually a market for getting these uh, students placed. Um, so yeah, that was our, that was our first biggest step was talking to hiring partners and just qualifying the curriculum and what we were going to put together. And how did you, like, how do you know what to is like, did you just take your experience ultimately and in some capacity codify it and, and product and, and productize it and then just take what you've learned over the last four years and uh, teach and then get those people hired? Or how did you know what to teach? How to you know who to recruit, et cetera? Yeah. So, yeah. So a lot of it was talking to hiring partners in the beginning um, and just saying that, hey, OK, if we were to like get students around this curriculum, is this what you would like to hire? And then if not, what would you like to see in this? So it was honestly, it was just the first three months was having a lot of conversations. And then um, one day my friend um, Lorenzo um, Santos and I, uh, he used to work at VaynerMedia and I was living in New York City. Um, he's worked with a lot of small businesses and I sat down with him and we just went through and organized all of this curriculum and all of these topics that I'd come up with, either whether it was with him or with um, other hiring partners that I'd spoken to. And since that moment, it's just been now anytime we talk to a head of growth at a company, um, we're also building out an advisory board with growth people. Um, 
it's taking it to them and saying like, all right, this is the curriculum that we have, but what more do you want to see? And um, getting their feedback has been really instrumental in making sure that we're building something that people actually want to uh, hire for. Um, and then on the student side of things, it was just cold outreach. So being able to outreach to people and just say like on LinkedIn and just say like, hey, I saw that you're looking for a job in marketing. Uh, would you be interested in test running this course? So over the summer, we launched Jamoka, like I saw, or not Jamoka, that was my agency. We launched on Delta with a um, single student. And my goal for that whole summer was just to help him land a job. That's, that's awesome. I, I'm smiling because I, when was it? In March, I decided to also take on the challenge of, of starting a school as well. It was, a, at the time, it was, challenge, it was to teach people how to be freelancers and how to do the business side of the craft um, for various reasons that I out, actually outlined like four podcasts ago as my, in my wrap up of 2019, that didn't work out for various reasons. Um, but I, I definitely want to dive into the intricacies of like the, the, the small details of, of creating this. Cause I feel like I went through it and I know all like the small things I feel like people don't think about, um, but are so big and important. Um, one thing that I'm really curious about is did you, did you aim when you started to get that one student and just work with that one student to get a job? Because if you couldn't get one student to get a job, you probably couldn't get 10 students to get a job. Or what was your reasoning for starting with one? And how do you think about student growth moving forward now that we're in 2020? Yeah, no, that was exactly what our goal was. Um, for me, so whenever we brought on our first student, I actually, we just had the topic. We didn't even have curriculum or anything. Um, and I remember, uh, it was like, yeah, first day of class and I'd spent the whole night before just trying to put everything together and working with that one student was actually a really iterative process. And I was making the lectures the night before we have class and it was just all based off of his feedback. So if something, if he wasn't picking something up or something wasn't, um, clicking for him, um, I'd make, I'd add something onto the next day with that new lecture to make sure that it was clicking for him and that he was understanding everything. So by the end of the three months, he knew all that was in our topics and curriculum that we'd defined before, but it was all at his own pace. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a really iterative process. And we launched our next cohort in September with two other students. So like still keeping the classes really small. And I found that that pace that we had with the first student went really well with that second cohort as well. Um, and then from there, we just built it up more and more and more. So we did two other cohorts after that with about three students each. And then going into this next year, we're amping things up a little bit with about 10 to 15 students in each cohort. And ideally by April, we can get up to about 40 or 50. That's, that's so cool. Uh, just starting small, but not, it's not just starting, starting small, it's starting right. It's, it's making yeah. sure you can do it right for a single person and then scale from there versus you got people just like me. I think I, our first cohort was like 11 people and it just was not a good idea because we, we probably could have succeeded if it was just one and just focused on that one. But we were like, Oh, like let's get as many people as we can for validation for investors. And I'm just like looking back, I'm like, you know what, Matt probably should have gone a different way. Um, but it's so cool to, uh, to see how you're doing it. Um, how, another kind of question about a specific detail. 
it sounds random, but I'm curious, how do you organize your curriculum? We organized our curriculum on Notion, and there wasn't actually a great like platform for this yet. So I'm curious, how do you organize your curriculum, and how, do you, how does your stack work for your school? That's actually what I'm asking. What stack yeah. do you use to manage your school? Oh my gosh, we're using so many <laughs> third-party tools. Uh, la we actually, we just brought on a, um, a person who's like managing our development work from here on. And uh, onboarding him onto all of the tools was so funny because like he hadn't seen the majority of these softwares like Notion and um, we're using like Slack and all these other things. And uh, yeah, bringing on Will and showing him everything was really funny. It's like, wow, we're very dependent. Um, yeah, so we're using Notion as like our company wiki, uh, where we're handling all of like our operations. Um, people are out of town, calendars, things like that. We'll do it all on uh, Notion. Um, for our curriculum itself, we're using Gitbook right now to currently manage all of the curriculum. So like we have like our admin curriculum panel, which will include everything that we've built out. And then for every single cohort that we bring on, we just open up another team basically and give them access to new pages. Got it. That, that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything that you have, uh, now that you're, well, I guess you started, it's been about almost a year. Is that right? It's been almost a year with on Delta. Yeah. So. Well, about a year since like I, I, I came up with the idea for it. Yeah. Um, we didn't like officially, officially launch till about September. So I think this is really interesting uh, for a couple of reasons. I think a lot of people see these, you know, some of these schools like Lambda School, like I had Austin on as one of the first guests and he, you know, they are very, you know, they're, they're still early stage, but they're still, you know, they're still late stage at the same time. They're, they're doing really big things and there's blockchain, these, these companies that almost seem like untouchable. Like how can I start that? You know, there's no way where you you know, you just started six months ago and you are a prime example of how someone with experience in an industry can build something around that experience. So my question for you is, like, is there, in the last six months or last year since you've even been thinking about it, is there anything that you, you know, you would have done differently even just six months ago or um, anything, any way you would have approached it differently now, since you're still early enough to, you know, make it you know, a product change, you know, as, as quickly as you want? Yeah, um, I think we could have actually just launched sooner. Um, my thought process was with that first student was I wanted to go through the full process with him and then get him a job. And then we'd launch with like opening up applications on our website. And I think we could have actually done that a lot sooner um, and probably actually launched that in like July or August when our first student was in his second or third month. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I feel like a lot of people feel that feel that way at some point about their own product now how do you think about recruiting uh sorry not recruiting um i guess getting your students recruited yeah uh, that was obviously the first thing you thought of when you decided to start on delta but now as you plan on growing uh do you have do you, do you have like an in-house recruiting firm do you just have good relationships how do you think about getting your students hired yeah, so um, we've been really fortunate actually on this. Um, one of our angel investors, and he's been very hands-on with um, everything so far, um, his name's Nelson Wang. Um, he used to be the director of partnerships at TopTal. 
And um, Nelson has been very, very helpful in helping us um, meet more people within the growth marketing space, um, getting us connected to startups, um, helping me manage everything, and then also with preparing the students. So a lot of what we offer our students is um, not just connections to hiring partners and those relationships that we're building, but also we're helping them with career prep. So um, interview prep, role playing, um, resume building, and like having them build out personal decks and personal websites and um, really taking them from zero to 100 in three months. And um, Nelson had built up this really big um, personal consulting firm where students would, who had just graduated would pay him to help them land a job. So I'm um, being able to take on his curriculum and then shape it to what we needed for on Delta was very helpful and helped us get from point A to point B, at least with iteration one. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, another, another question that I had is I think in the last 10 years, or let's say pre 2017, let's say pre Lambda school breaking out, if someone had expertise on a topic, what was common, if they wanted to kind of monetize the expertise and help people, the expertise is, you know, put up a course on Udemy, Coursera, yeah. Teachable, um, et cetera. Um, but with the rise of income share agreements and also just the, the rise of these tools that allow for remote schools, I am starting to just see a few early inklings of of people like you doing what you're doing and instead of just doing, you know, keeping it like a course and that's it, you're owning the whole stack from education to hiring. Do you, you know, why do you, do you see this in some of your friends that they're doing similar things? Do you think this will be the future of quote unquote courses or I guess, what do you think the future of, yeah. What do you think the future of courses is? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't actually think, Owning the whole stack. I mean, I think, I think for people who want to start a startup, I think owning the stack makes sense. And if you want to scale yourself, um, I think courses are like going the Udemy route or like making something on Padaya or something like that is a really good route to go um, for testing things out. And that was one of the things that I was thinking through too originally, where it was just like, hey, why don't I just go ahead and launch a growth marketing course on um, Padaya? Um, but there's a lot of competitors in that space and I feel like everyone is launching their own personal courses right now. So I guess if you want to differentiate and you want to go bigger, then it could make sense to create an, a school. Um, it just takes a lot more effort and it's not something that you'll be able to build and launch in a month with like building something on Padaya. You could, um, I think for us to get all of our ducks in a row and get something from point A to point B where it's like. We've built out this curriculum. We've created hiring partner um, partnerships, and yeah, we're now placing students and building everything up. Took like between five to six months to get everything together. So, if you're in it for the long haul, and I think want to actually build something over the span of ten years, uh, then yeah, it could make sense to start a school. But I think it just really comes down to what you're looking for. I can relate to that. There's this quote that Hunter Walk uses sometimes, or I don't know if it's his quote or it's something that he uses from someone else, but like entrepreneurs uh, and founders just love the taste of, of chewing glass. Like it's like, we just, we like to go down the harder path because for, for whatever reason, you know, and, yeah. and you know, you, you could have 
you know, as you mentioned, started a course, but no, you want to own the stack. You want to start a startup. You want to go big and it's going to be more painful, but there's so much more in my view as also a founder, there's pleasure in there as well, along with pain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think having that opportunity as well to have a direct impact on this marketplace that we're creating has been really, really exciting and being able to see, uh, not just like selling a course, but and changing like the course of people's lives, but also um, watching it happen in real time has probably been the most rewarding thing that I wouldn't have been able to get through just launching a course on Hedaya. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Um, I want to dive into something you mentioned maybe 10 minutes ago, um, or actually it might have been when we were rec- uh, pre-recording, but you, you mentioned you dropped out of school to work on your your marketing agency at the time um if, yeah. you're, if you're open to it i'd love to kind of dive into that moment when you yeah. uh decided to drop out um and i guess to start what made you feel like you wanted to drop out and then what was the moment that you're like all right like, i'm doing it uh you know let's go into that yeah um so my my plan was yeah go to college I was studying computer science and then graduate and work at like a Facebook or a Google. Um, my going into the end of my freshman year in college, um, I realized I hated it. I didn't like sitting at a desk and coding on other people's projects. Um, I liked the idea of sitting and making my own websites and building my own thing, but um, yeah, for other people it was really hard and. Uh, my freshman year had ended and I was supposed to go work in New York city that summer. And then for some reason, things just didn't end up working out. And, uh, my parents, because they thought I was supposed to be working in New York city that summer, decided that they were going to take the rest of the family to the UK. So I was left, uh, at home in Tennessee for about three weeks on my own. My, uh, friend, one of my friends, his name's Alex from Purdue called me up and Alex is just like, yo, I'm going out to San Francisco this weekend for, um, the Teal Fellowship. They're throwing this conference and, uh, I think you should come out. And I was like, all right, I'll come out for this weekend. And like, let's see what this is. Cause I'd heard about it before. And that one weekend just blew me away. It was, I was amazed being able to see um, all of these people who were my age who had dropped out of school and started businesses and like didn't need a degree to define themselves was fascinating. And I realized that if there was any bubble that I kind of wanted to be a part of, the Silicon Valley bubble was it. And it was my first time being introduced to that. So uh, I came back from that weekend. Um, I ended up getting an internship at um, an agency in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And that whole summer, I just started scheming on this idea of like, all right, how do I become one of those people that I saw at this conference? Um, And that was also when I started planting seeds with my parents, because I knew I wasn't going to be able to drop out without getting their blessing. Um, Fast forward, I launched my agency that fall, um, start working with some, a couple of YC companies, other companies around Purdue. Um, And then October, uh, this, um, guy, his name's Art Norens, um, very nice, very smart, um, was a Purdue alum, uh, runs, ran a company in Santa Clara called Nor One, uh, was visiting, uh, the Purdue, uh, co-working space. So 
the Purdue uh, Research Center had asked me to meet with Art and to show him around the, the co-working space because I was helping run it at the time. And within 10 minutes of me talking with Art, Art was just like, um, yeah, I also think you should drop out. Like, I think that you should go and do this thing on your own. And uh, it was actually because of him, he ended up giving me a job at Nor One over the summer as a data engineer that I was able to get my parents to get on board and they gave me their blessing. And yeah, by the end of the summer, I had built up enough clients working in Santa Clara that I was able to move up to the city. And that was back in 2016. So yeah, that was that whole story. <laughs> All right. This is, this is really interesting because I, in some ways, see a few parallels between your story and my story in regards to geography. So you, um, so I actually want to dive into this. So you visited you visited San Francisco for this yeah. is the first time you were exposed to that scene, the tech scene. Yep. Cool. So you visited, you came back and you it changed your perspective. And I've had like similar experiences. Did you feel like at the time in I guess 2015, 2016, you were able to connect with the San Francisco, that scene on the internet? Or did you feel like you just you had to be there? Oh, I definitely felt like I was able to connect with them on the internet. And a lot of those people I already knew because I was really involved in the hackathon scene. So I'd travel around the U.S. doing hackathons and these coding competitions. So it was interesting because I wasn't seeing them in the environment that I was used to seeing them in, which was at different universities and colleges. And it was a lot, much more structured. Whereas I felt that weekend, it was seeing them more in their own environment where they were out here working on startups and doing their own thing. And that was what was the most life-changing thing for me in that moment, which, oh, whoa, they're working on their own, actually. They're not, whatever these hackathons would end, they weren't going back to college. They were coming back to here. Uh, so that was, that was really cool to see. And when you, so for context, I live in Phoenix and I, got I had my first kind of similar moment to yours around the same time actually it was late 2015 and for me it wasn't an actual event it was just observing the Sam Altman's 2014 how to start a startup Stanford series um, on video like I was still in Phoenix but I watched that and it changed my life Uh, literally like my perspective on everything for the positive and for the negative just changed like I was mentally in San Francisco from that moment on but I never was able to move uh, for various reasons. And I'm still in Phoenix. I'm kind of curious, like now that you're there um, or you, or you moved up there, what has, what have you been able to do being in the city that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise? And like, what has happened if you're just talking to someone who kind of like, longs to be up there, but needs like enough conviction to brave the, the rent, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, I'd love to hear that. Uh, Cause it's, it's an internal conflict for me. <laughs> Yeah, for for me at the time, I just, I realized that there's a lot that has to do with just being like the proximity of everything because I was able to, um, meeting able to meet people in person, I feel like just made things a lot easier for me to get my foot in the door. Uh, and I tried to take up jobs with, through my agency and take up contract gigs, still working back at Purdue. And I tried to do that for the full year of, 2015 before I dropped out and it was really hard (laughs) because I mean I think the thing was I was like this 18 year old girl who wanted to start this agency and like yeah our company's out here just like who the fuck is this like you know like there's like it took like I just hadn't built that rep 
And I realized that if people were going to trust me, I needed to be out here to build that, at least initially. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the biggest part for me. And even actually after moving out here, it took between six to 12 months, I think, to actually really establish myself as being someone that people would start to trust and go to. And I think it was just because I'd show up at events and try to put myself out there. Um, I think the thing is, is if you're coming out here and then you're sitting in your apartment and doing Skype meetings, it doesn't really make sense to move out here. But if you're a social person and you can light that fire under your ass to like start going to events and start meeting people, um, you'll start to, it'll start to compound and work. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I, I think it compromised for me, at least until I, I, until I'm going to do a little plug, until I get more angel investors on the podcast. If the people are listening, they know they can <laughs> angel invest for 10 bucks a month. Um, but until, you know, I am able to, to comfortably financially afford it. Um, I, I planning on doing like ideally monthly trips up there where I spend like three to five days, one, maybe two to five days up there, just like meeting people, you know, especially people I've interviewed, et cetera. Just cause I think, yeah. although, you know, although a lot of people are saying you, you should you, living up there and moving up there and moving the company up there in 2020 and 2019 is like maybe not the best decision for me. That's where it all happened. Like, like that's where the capital is. That's where the talent is. That's where the mindset is. Um, and there's yeah. something, there's something about it that makes me want to be there as much as I can. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, like Phoenix is also really close. Um, I think I could have maybe, I, if I could have, I wish my parents lived a little bit closer instead of in Tennessee, or I probably actually would have done something similar and just maybe oh, interesting. In necessary. Dude, can um, you? Can you, um, sorry for interrupting. Can, if yeah. you lived in, if you were, if you had, were in your situation, um, and you lived in like LA or you lived in Utah, you, somewhere just with that's closer. Um, yeah. what, yeah, I, I'm very intrigued to hear like what you would, how you'd think about San Francisco if you were closer in proximity. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have moved here. Um, I think, I think the thing was, is, yeah, like Tennessee is great, but it's not anywhere. It's not close to here. And I mean, I think the closest startup place to us was Chattanooga, but Chattanooga back in 2016 was also still up and coming. So they were still trying to figure things out. Um, yeah, I think if my parents lived a lot closer, even if it was like an hour or two hour flight, I probably would have stayed where they were. Yeah. It's a lot That's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I feel like with the, the podcast, it's kind of my own compromise too. It's just like I had to talk to people all the time on the podcast. So, you know, anyways. Um, cool. Yeah. So I, I want to go into, sorry, I went down a little rabbit hole there. I apologize. Um, I, I do have another question. Uh, it's something that I've been pondering a lot about. And uh, I'm just kind of wondering what your take is on it. I guess I'll actually just start, you, you know, you, we might be like similar ish ages, like probably in our twenties. Uh, I'm curious, what do you see your peers doing and what, what in, insights do you see uh, in your friends and people in their twenties or late teens that, that maybe aren't as obvious to people that are much older um, because you know, it's, it's culture. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually very fortunate in this aspect. Um, majority of my friends are all startup founders. And we actually all moved out here from Purdue. So we're all, we're all kind of doing our own thing. Um, but yeah, we're all, we're all within the startup space. So um, because we're all like working from home, um, 
a lot of it is just yeah co-working bouncing ideas off of each other um there's about like five or six of us that I see probably like on a weekly basis and yeah I would say like really what we're into right now is just we'll share like things that we see on Twitter or memes or things like that (laughs) but yeah it's a lot of it is really collaborative and we just work off of each other and bounce ideas so if you kind of you, you so you have your close friends you have your friends and then you have what what I consider as my like internet acquaintances where it's like people that I you know you know we're cool we talk every like you know three months sure. I see what they post all the time and I think I'm curious uh, about about that I'll, I'll tell you the reason why I'm asking this is because I most recently have have been finding that people that are doing interesting things have been adding me on Facebook. I had them on Facebook. I just like seen these interesting people and everyone, cause I'm young, the people are young and it's just, I just see in some ways that people may be, you know, digital natives or people that grew up with, with technology, see things differently than people that didn't grow up with technology whatsoever. I'm just wondering, yeah. have you seen any trends or insights into into that um, or what changes, you know, people in their late teens or twenties are, are making because they grew up with technology. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I used to be like a really big Facebook power user back in 2016, 2017. Um, when I was like running Facebook groups and I feel like in the last year or so, especially since I started on Delta, I've started to take a step back from social in general. Um, and like, I have some friends that I've, I've kept in touch with from when I was uh, helping um, admin like BAMF, the Facebook group, and I had my own thing for a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm not really sure. I feel like, I feel like what I, what I do see every once in a while is like meme Facebook groups or things will pop up between like people that are within the tech industry. Um but as for like, I feel like even people that I was really close with two or three years ago that I would talk with online, I just don't really speak to or keep in touch with anymore because we're just all kind of doing different things. I feel like a lot of my friend group back in that day was really content focused and they were focused like back in the day, like also around this time I was doing like LinkedIn influencing. So I was posting um, <laughs> LinkedIn influencing. But yeah, I was like posting all of these. <laughs> I was posting all of these like really quick baby posts that would pull in like between 500,000 to a million views a post. And that was like, that was who I created this whole friend group around. Um, and since I like took a step back and started doing more tech related startups, I'm not really that tapped into that scene anymore. That's so interesting that you bring that up. Um, <laughs> because like, did you, did you ever have a, uh, well, let me preface with like, I love this person and this person will always be like a hero of mine. Um, but Gary V, did you ever have a, a pretty intense Gary V like phase and, I'm just curious, like actually on a, on a, on a larger scale during that time when you were more in the content space, who were your, the people you were looking up to and your the influencers and now who do those influencers look like or feel like? How, how has that changed? Oh, this is interesting. Hmm. Okay. So I feel like, hmm. yeah, when I first got into the startup scene, I'd watch quite a bit of Gary. I don't really watch him anymore. 
I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I think back in that time, I was watching a lot of, I was watching a lot of YouTubers. So like Jake and Logan Paul, I'd follow quite a bit. Um, a lot of Casey Neistat, um, people who were startup founders are doing things within the space and were younger. Um, I used to keep track of, and I found that for people who, for me, when I was creating content and I was ideating, um, it was good for me to watch people because it was good for coming up with ideas to help me kind of get out of my own head to see what other people were building. Uh, but as I found that I was stepping away from it and focusing more on my own thing, um, the Gary Vee content, the Casey Neistat content and watching people living their own lives just weren't really, just wasn't really that interesting to me anymore because instead of getting fueled by watching them live their lives and using that as something that was inspiring, I was starting to inspire myself in my own way by building my own thing. And it's definitely a trend that I've seen amongst a lot of my friends as well, where they'll start off with watching content and going through that Gary Vee stage. But the moment they actually start doing something and start building themselves up, they'll, they'll stop. And I feel like Gary has said this too a couple of times in his content where he's like, my goal is, is that like, I want you to stop watching me after like a few months. Like I want to be that fire and then I want you to like go out and do your own thing. And I think he does a really good job of doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I very much so relate to that. I had a, I don't know, I was probably like a year and a half. At the moment, Jab, 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 Right Hook came out to, you know, I guess a year after that, I was all on Gary. And I remember there was actually the biggest thing that he, that he did for me. He actually came to Phoenix for a conference and I got a free ticket to it because, you know, I, the startup scene and, you know, whatever. I like it just networked my way in. And um, when it came for Q&A, I was the first, my, my, my hand was the first to raise. And he's like, oh, you up there on like the, the rafters, you know, what, uh, what's your question? And note that because I got a free ticket, there was a lot of us that got free tickets. We were on the second floor and all the investors and, you know, people with wealth were on the first floor. And I was like, you know, my, I was who I was back then, which was a little less polished version of me now. And I was like, Gary, how can the people up here learn, uh, or, sorry, how can the people up here get the respect from the people down there? Uh, and his answer was like, in short, it was a great answer, but in short, it was like, it doesn't matter. And it's flipped. Like they actually need to get your respect because you're the founder. They're investors. So just don't think about them ever and build your thing and they'll come to yep. you. And that I, I will never, that's the, one of the most impactful things that has happened to me in my life. Um, and uh, whenever I think of Gary, it's just that like every, all the other content that he has put out, you know, is secondary to that one single piece of advice. Um, and I just will always, always appreciate that, that for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually really interesting that um, he said that. And actually going back to, I think, a question you had asked um, earlier, which was some, what is something that I wish I would have done when I first started on Delta, looking back on it now, um, that just clicked one of the things in my head. I think in the beginning, I was originally thinking about things in terms of like, how do we do like how do we do this to get investors and how do we build this thing up? Um, and I think that was my original mindset when I first went into it. And then once I realized that it was like, if you build a business and it starts to grow on its own and it starts to make money and people start to come in, it's a lot easier to sell and get investors excited and involved with it uh, when your business is doing the selling for you and you don't have to be that, that voice to like try to, I mean, you do, but in some respects, but like you don't have to actually be that, that pushing factor and like it speaks for itself you're also going to get way better terms probably better investors oh yeah 100 percent. 
Yeah. How actually, um, a couple of questions about that and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up in a second, but for investors, you, how do you think about investors now? I mean, you just gave me an idea, but practically, you know, you have, you mentioned you have at least one angel. I don't know how many other investors you have, but, um, just like how much of your, of your mind, uh, do, do investors kind of take up and of that little slice, um, what, what are you thinking about now? Is it like raising VC? Is it, I do not think about them at all. I'd love to hear about at your stage, you know, how you think about them. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the beginning I was, is all I thought about. It was just kind of like, okay, how do we get funding for this? How do we get this together? Uh, and then about two months in, um, Nelson actually one day I was chatting with him about this and he was just like thinking about this all wrong. He's like, I wouldn't even think about investing at all right now or like, uh, uh, getting investing and for any other like people right now, I think that we should just focus on building a business. Um, so yeah, it was, it's just been kind of one of those things so far that if someone wants to come in and say like, Hey, like I want to put some angel money in, uh, and we think that they're a good fit. Um, we're like open to having that discussion, but, um, yeah, I don't really see us raising for a while cause I don't really see that there's really a need to, um, we're just, we're bootstrapping it pretty much for the main thing. Like we have a couple of angels that have come in, but, um, yeah, I mean, our students have started to bring in some income. So it's like, it's now just trying to build things up and scale things up from here. I feel like it's one of those things where if it works, you get very wealthy. <laughs> it's yeah. in- income share agreements. Everyone gets wealthy because if it works, it means it's working for the students. And if it's working yep. for the students, then you get paid. It's great. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. And we're making the world a better place in the process. I think that's, that's the most exciting thing for me. Absolutely. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, so I guess moving towards the last, I would say section, what are, what would you say over the last, not even since you started on Delta, um, but just since you got into startups, since that Teal Fellowship retreat, what have yeah. been, uh, um, what have you been what have you learned the most? Where, where have your, your biggest learnings come from as you've gone through starting agencies and now starting on Delta? I think the biggest is that life just keeps on moving. It's things in the moment can seem really, really big or really scary or um, like they're going to ruin your life. <laughs> like something's just not going to happen the way that you expected it to. Um, but if whether things are good or if things are bad, um, everything is temporary. Um, and I think once you really take that to heart and you realize that you can't really take anything for granted, um, is when you just really start to live in the moment. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned since moving out here is just to take things as they come and take things in strides. And as long as I'm doing my best and making sure that I think the people around me are also, um, putting their best foot forward, that's really the most you can hope for at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. This too shall pass. If it's good, it's not going to be good forever. If it's bad, it won't be bad forever. Yeah. Uh, do you have any advice for people listening that want to start a company? They don't necessarily know how. They don't. They have an idea. They have. They see a challenge, but they don't know what to do after that. What advice would you have for for these people to get out there and get started? Uh, just start. Um, I think talking to people that are within the space. I mean, I've tried to reach out to also so many other founders that have started income share agreements uh, companies and just like having conversations with people, try to meet people that are within the space and then don't just plan out what you're going to do, but actually just start doing it. 
I found that for me, my biggest downfall in the beginning was I'd sit out and I'd plan things in a Google Doc and I'd say like, all right, this is what I'm going to do for January and February and March and April. And then we're two weeks into January and it's not, it's like nothing close to what it was. The, and I spent three hours the week before trying to put it all together. So yeah, I think just take things in strides and start and try to just figure things out as you go and have as many conversations as you can because we're always going to have biases in our heads of the way that we think things should go or and other people are going to have their own. So as long as you're open to what other people have to say and you listen to it, I think you'll be in really good shape. <laughs> That's very valuable advice. And As you were giving that, I realized there's a question I wanted to ask but forgot. So I want to do that and then we'll go yeah. with the last question. Uh, on Delta, what is, uh, where'd you get this name from? Uh, can you tell me uh, the inspiration for it and what it means? Yeah. Um, so we were playing around with a lot of different names. Um, I, my last, um, my agency, we called that Jamoka Media. And I got the name for that company through going to Thesaurus and typing in coffee. And Jamoka came up. So I thought it was <laughs> only fitting that I tried that as well with uh, on Delta. So um, I was like, all right, I was like, I really liked the idea of being the change and like changing our students and like being that factor. So I went to Thesaurus and typed in change and um, Delta was one of those things that came up. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but then there's Delta Airlines. We'd have some SEO problems. <laughs> ended up going with um, on Delta because we're online. So. Oh, nice. That's cool. I like that. Uh, it's, it's a very, I feel like I, I what's well, more so some people have asked me how I started, got the name for a previous company. And the story is just like involves a name generator it involves just like picking a random <laughs> word, but that's kind of, you know, at the end of the day, the name is not that it's what you do with the name. You can name it yeah. anything. And if you do something special, then, you know, you can name your, your, you know, yeah, you, you get the idea to people listening. It's just like yeah. great work and whatever you name it is going to be just great. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, I think it's also one of those things that you can like play around with a little bit. So like before we even announced it as being on Delta, I called it that for like three or four weeks on my own with my friends just to see how it felt. Um, but really at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you name your company, at least in my point of view, because like as long as you build a business that works and it runs, and it's not a really bad name. Uh, as long as it's just like a mediocre name, you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. So what's an example? <laughs> what would you say could have been, did you think of any bad names for on, for what is now on Delta? Was there something that you thought of that you're like, wow, that's really, that's really bad. I can't do that. Um, we thought about naming it street smart for a while. Kind of like that. Yeah, I think street smart just has a really negative connotation. It, it does. <laughs> so, so we we actually played around with calling it that for like a week too, and I was like, ah, nah, and we're not gonna do that. Um, That's so funny. Yeah. I uh. <laughs> the, the, one more time, sorry. We might change it too. So we're still yeah. we're still playing around with it. I think I haven't really focused too much on actually building out our brand so far. It's yeah. more so just like we can just get in students and start to scale things up. We can start to focus on the brand a little bit later. I definitely believe that's the right order. I think more people could, could, could go in that order as well. <laughs> uh, well, my last question for you is 
know, you're just getting started with on Delta, you you're and you're starting to scale up, which means you're going to need some help, uh, you know, wherever, wherever it comes. And you've got a lot of people listening to the podcast who want to help. They might be really interested in you or what you're up to, want to be a student, et cetera. So how can the forward thinking founders community uh, help you? Do you have an ask that you could ask of all of us? Yeah, if you or anyone you know is looking for a growth marketing job um, or wants to get into the growth marketing space, we'd love to work with them. Um, we're looking for people that are hungry, people who want to um, put themselves out there and uh, want to, yeah, just learn on the job. So, yeah, if you know anyone who wants to work in the growth marketing space, we'd love to chat with them. And then on the flip side of things, um, if you or anyone you know is hiring growth marketers, we'd also love to chat. Um, we have a couple of students graduating in the next month and then a few more graduating the month after. Um, yeah, uh, we also have an apprenticeship program. So we have students that are in their third month and want to work with startups for free um, for that month based off of our curriculum. We're working with startups to do that as well and to give our students some um, experience. So even if you actually can't afford to hire a marketer, but you'd like to work with one of our students, we would love to chat with you on that front as well. Do you work with podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, we have a couple of students that are interested cool. in the content yeah. space. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, cool. Well, if you if you all heard that, uh, you know, you know how you can help if you have a need. Where can people find you on the internet? Do you have an email? Do you have a website? Where can people get in touch? Yeah, so my email is mehek at ondelta.io. Um, and then if you want to reach out to me, I'm on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, as uh, the Mehek Bora. All right. The, the last notes before we finish it is I wonder when it's been going to become uh, common for people to say, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I feel like, th like there's going to be a point where like TikTok is a thing and no one has said it ever on the podcast and i just am interested to see like at what point does tiktok start to like you know get in there which is i'm just kind yeah. of interested <laughs> i also my tiktok is also at thema heck for us if you want to follow me on there i'm there too you're not you just the first tiktok drop on this episode legendary well thank you so much for coming on to the podcast uh super interesting uh you know super interesting stuff cool company but you also have a lot of interesting thoughts on other stuff as well. So I appreciate you sharing all of that with us on the pod. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And if you did enjoy it, and you have enjoyed previous episodes, and you by chance would want to meet a good amount of the guests I've had on the podcast, then you should come to the Forward Thinking Founders Meetup. If you listened to the beginning of this episode, you know how to attend, how to get information. But if you forgot... All you have to do is become an angel investor in the podcast for $10 a month or for $100 a year. You get access to all our in-person events and online communities and premium content. It's a hell of a deal. And let me be honest, it really supports me as a creator. So if you're interested in meeting some of the guests and me, your host, at this meetup in San Francisco late January, go to glow.fm slash F20R. And let's make it happen. Hope you have a great rest of your day and I will see you tomorrow. Peace.